This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. Welcome to the Shakti Hour, a podcast on Ram Dass's Be Here Now Network, where I speak with women about their personal experience on the spiritual path. My name is Melanie, and today I'm sharing a conversation with the lovely Nina Rao. I caught up with Nina earlier this week, just after she had returned from the Bandara in India for Sidima, uh, after Sidima uh, left her body. So I got to hear about that experience and Nina's personal uh, relationship with Sidima, as well as learning about her fascinating journey to Kirtan and meeting Krishna Das in the 90s and singing and playing with him and touring with him all the way to releasing her first album a few years ago, Knower of All Hearts. And now she has a new album she's working on that will be out soon. I hope you enjoy hearing from Nina about her own experience and spiritual practice and evolution, and especially about her stories regarding Sidi Ma and Sidi Ma's relationship with Neem Karoli Baba and Sidi Ma's relationship with Nina herself. If you want to learn more about Nina, you can go to her website, ninaraochant.com, or you can go to the Shakti Hour page at BeHereNowNetwork.com, where you will find a link to purchase her album, and also to sign up for the next Ramdas Immersion Retreat in Ojai at Hanuman Gardens this March, March 8th through the 11th. Nina will be there leading a Hanuman and Chant Chalisa workshops and goddess prayers. And it'd be a great opportunity to spend some uh, deep and extended time, not only with the Ramdas satsang, but also with Nina in her chanting and all of her delightful beauty and light that she shares with all of us. Please remember to subscribe to the Shakti Hour on iTunes. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please go ahead and leave us a positive review. Thanks very much for listening. Hey, Melanie. Hello. How are you? I am well. I'm so, so sorry about yesterday. I just, it was so bizarre. I spent literally the whole 
afternoon working on it to get what it. What a drag. It was a, was a drag. For you, not for me. I know. Well, I mean, it just was a, it was annoying. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm glad that you had a minute today too for us to connect. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to do that. I guess I just haven't, you know, we keep talking about things and then suddenly it happens. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, the interesting thing about the everything I've been doing on this podcast is that it seems to be, you know, fully in its own timing. So, mm. <laughs> you know, tell me about um, this podcast. What is what is Shakti Hour? What have you been doing with others? Well, I started it mostly just because I wanted to speak with more women about their spiritual path. I just wanted more women in my life that I was talking to about yeah. these issues. And I had a question kind of in the back of my mind about is the spiritual path different for women than it is for men? Yeah. I haven't been addressing that fully with people, but I tell everybody that kind of at the outset. And then mm. really, um, really it's just for me in kind of gross terms it's i just want to add more dishes to the buffet yeah. so <laughs> i find it's really nice to talk with women and even just women talking with women there's a different rhythm and a different mm -hmm. style of conversation and just being able to create an archive of conversations with all different women about their spiritual you know evolution and their spiritual journey Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's been really wonderful. And sometimes we talk about the divine feminine and sometimes we don't. And sometimes, you know, really depends on the person. Yeah. And um, but what I do know is that I am getting a lot of great uh, feedback from people feeling like it's comforting and inspiring and just nice to hear other voices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing. And, you know, I've had, uh, I interviewed Lama Siltram, Megan and, and Lakshmi from Hanuman Gardens, David mm -hmm. Premal, author Terry Tempest Williams, you know, so it's, it's kind of been a little bit all over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks like <laughs> it. Wow. That's yeah. quite a collection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Are all of those up? I should listen to them. They're all up. There's 13 episodes up. Oh, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, you can uh, listen to them at any time. Please subscribe <laughs> on iTunes. <laughs> be on, wait, on Be Here Now, right? Isn't yes, it's it on, on the Be Here Now network, but you oh, can yeah. also subscribe on iTunes to the Shakti Hour in particular, and that will uh -huh. Interesting. keep us okay. uh, keep us getting more. Being able to get more people listening is really all I want, to have, have more people have access to it, know about it. Great. So. <laughs> so you look wonderful. You said you were. You said you didn't think you looked wonderful, but you you look. I said I look like hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did just go to India and back in like an incredibly short amount of time. So, and yeah, then I to did. Boston and then back. So. I did. It was a bit intense. I'm still kind of turned upside down with timing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I feel like I've been in and out of jet lag my whole life. That's just how it goes. Traveling. Yeah. 
it become times becomes something very different than when you're traveling that much. I've had that experience. Yeah. I mean, the mind can adjust, but after a while, the body's just, you know, slow down and take a break is what happens to me. It's like a real jet lag when I return home. Yeah, I had in my first experience of that this year where I literally felt like I was on a boat. Mm-hmm. That my bo- I was like, okay, my body cannot. I was handling it, like you said, with the mind. <laughs> the mind mm-hmm. and the spirit were staying nice and strong. But I, I, I just had to check out for 24 hours until I wasn't wobbling. I know what you mean. <laughs> so I think what I'd like to do just to with you today is just um, have you share a little bit about your own personal path and, and how you came to Bhakti and how you came to the Ramdas community and, and and then I really would love to hear and I think all the listeners would love to hear about your um, experience with Ma and then your recent uh, just trip there mm-hmm. for the Mandara. So, um, I read on your website that you used to lead tours in the safari tours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. When, as you just asked me that question about my spiritual journey, I'm trying to think of when was it that it actually began. And as I keep thinking, I... I realize that it goes way back into my childhood. You know, when I, I'm my, I'm aware of feelings, thoughts, and experiences that go back into my days as a really young girl, not fully understanding or needing really to understand that they're anything different. Spiritual is not necessarily different than anything else that's happening in our lives, but it was a very internal process and not something that necessarily I discussed with other people. Hmm. But uh, to answer your question, yes, um, that's one of the things I've done in my life. I think, you know, unlike a lot of young Indian women of my time who had uh, careers laid out for the, you know, a, a path in which they were going to study and do certain things and become professionals. I, um, I did, I did have, I've done a few different things. So, you know, after studying economics in college and wanting to be a businesswoman and actually doing that on Wall Street for some years in the mid-80s, um, I decided that I needed to break away and do something that really nurtured me, you know, looking at numbers and trading financial instruments wasn't really satisfying or, you know, didn't make me feel content in any way. Um, And I had been to to Kenya, to East Africa, when my parents lived there, and I visited them and had really kind of fallen in love with the whole idea of wildlife viewing, something I hadn't done as a child, but in my early 20s I had done that. And I had the opportunity to work for somebody and set up his operations for him in New York and I eventually formed my own company and um, took people on photographic wildlife trips through East and Southern Africa and also in India and ultimately when I brought people to India the idea was to raise funds for um, saving wild tigers 
And saving wild tigers would then mean saving the habitat and everything that lives within that habitat, which mm -hmm. was the ultimate. Mm -hmm. So when I met um, Krishnadas, that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, I lived in New York back then, which was 19... I met him in 1996. Yeah. So this connection to animals... Okay, so there's two things that I want to touch on. One is, you were talking about the, your early childhood, the feeling, the things you weren't discussing. Yeah. I'd like to hear about that, but somehow I'm kind of feeling like it, it relates to this later connection with wildlife, mm -hmm. uh, in a way. I don't know, but maybe it yeah. does, maybe it doesn't. But Do you see those two as connecting, or can you say more about that? Yeah. Um, I guess I haven't really thought about it that way. Um, you know, as a young girl, navigating, you know, all the things that we have to do in life, uh, growing up, I mean, I grew up in a lot of different countries because my father traveled. So we, um, I spent a lot of time daydreaming, I realize now that I think about mm -hmm. it, uh, just a lot of thoughts in my head about who I am and what I am and um, one of the things that did happen was while we lived abroad a lot, we lived in Thailand, we lived in Canada, we lived in Australia as we grew up, my sisters and I, we did come back to my mother's ancestral home in a small village in India. Hmm. And it was there in South India where I uh, was exposed, I think, to more of some of the traditional um, Indian sort of spiritual or slash religious practices. My parents sort of had a very modern outlook on life and they wanted to raise their girls to be independent women of the modern day. But when we went back there, I was really pulled in to the olden ways, you know. Hmm. Um, my grandfather had this beautiful house, a big old house in um, mango groves and coconut trees on the coast of, of South India. And Part of, though he was an engineer for the British government, part of the day that we had there, because there were, weren't smartphones and there weren't any phones actually in that house, um, was to spend the day just walking around the grounds, reading. Hmm. And because he had a harmonium, I started to kind of tootle around with it because I really loved having an instrument, which I never had at home. I wanted to play piano, but because we moved so much, I couldn't have one. But he had a harmonium. And um, when I did ask him to show me uh, how to play it, because it was he who played it, he said, well, I will as long as you sing with me. And that was my first introduction to the idea of kirtan or, or, mm. or bhajan, singing as a community, mm. uh, which is something I'd never experienced before, you know. Mm. Um, I was probably about nine or ten years old, and I remember, though, you know, we had music class in school, and when I did grow up in, in these other countries, uh, I went to a lot of Catholic schools, so I always wanted to go to, many of these schools had chapels in them, and I wanted to actually go to Mass along with the other kids, but because I wasn't Catholic, I had to go to moral science class, moral science, Whoa. that's what they called it. <laughs> Oh. And it was just deathly. But I did ask for um, to go to church because I loved the whole 
idea of singing hymns. Hmm. That was that was really something that called to me. And then doing this with my grandfather and, and realizing that my mother and her sisters, they all knew these chants. They had grown up with them, hmm. though my mother had never shared them with me separately. While we were there with my grandfather, that's what we did. Huh. And um, and also on his bookshelf, he had English translations of the Ramayana and the Mahabharat and the Krishna Leela, things I had never seen before. Huh. Um, and I just started reading them because, you know, you're there for three months, summer holidays, you just keep devouring whatever was there. And I loved these stories. And I found myself kind of coming back consecutive years and reading them over again, hmm. you know, kind of looking forward to that. And um, I just, I guess when I when I mentioned to you about having sort, sort of experiences or feelings as a young girl, my memory is that, uh, you know, walking in nature was a big, big part of that. And so maybe that connects in some way to wildlife later on, I'm not sure, but I'm sure everybody finds some sort of spiritual uh, connection with nature wherever you are, whether it's Central Park or it's a jungle in India, you know, it's pretty much the same. Um, that's how we feel connected to the earth and to all of each other. Mm. It's through the living world. Um, but what I do remember is that when we did visit temples and churches uh, in all the places that we lived in, there was definitely an a feeling of entering a sanctuary. It felt like that. And I recall having that feeling even as a child. Um, and then when we went to my grandfather's house, they did regular puja at home every day where, you know, we lit the lamps in the four corners of the house and we worshiped the Tulsi plant out front. And it was something that I wanted to do every day. It was kind of the thing that we looked forward to in the evening. Um, Again, but not fully understanding any of the 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 um, the actual content of what we were doing. It's not like I studied Sanskrit or anything in that way. I was just going through the rituals and and having enjoyment in it and taking solace in it in some way. And you, this wasn't something that your individual family was doing as you were moving about. So when you were living in Canada or Australia, you weren't doing the puja or chanting or any of that. It was really no. specific to these summer moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there were just a few. And you know, later on in my later teens, I guess we did that then as well. It was sort of sporadic over the last you know, 10 years of my first 20 years of my life, mm -hmm. you know. And was there, did you have a an idea of it. I mean, you wanted to go into the church, the mass ceremony for the for the ritual, for the music. Was there a perception, good or bad, about religion coming from your family or in your home? No, no, there wasn't. I mean, there was. It was. Uh, it sort of just was happening, but there wasn't much time spent discussing it. You know, in my home. So when we came away from my grandfather's house. We got back to our sort of our regular routine, and I never talked about it with anybody. And even while I was there with my grandfather, we didn't really necessarily discuss spiritual philosophy or anything like that. You right. know, it was just part of what was happening hmm. at the time. Um, and I think on some level, maybe I had a hunger for it, because when I did eventually meet 
people along the way, even before I met Krishnadas, there were some people I met who uh, were meditators, you know, slowly. And I started doing yoga practice and I realized I was being pulled very quickly into the essential um, feeling of sacredness around mm. around practice, whether it was meditation or it was yoga. And then when I met Krishnadas and he was able to articulate having had his experience with Neem Kroli Baba and chanting for some years at that point but he was able to articulate it as a westerner coming hmm. and not necessarily having grown up with it that way it really helped me to understand uh, hmm. what I was feeling because it wasn't any different than he was feeling he did have a guru which, which I didn't have at that point and was very frustrating for me because hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I felt like I really wanted a guru and I would have these conversations with Krishnas and he said, well, you know, you don't need a guru, the guru will find you. And I said, well, that's all fine for you to say because you had your time with Maharaji and, yeah. you know, I really want that. I realize it's mm -hmm. something I really want. It, it's calling to me. Uh, but it did help at that, and that's when everything kind of clicked into place for me. That that f that feeling of being deep in your heart or connecting with that deep part in your heart was not something that um, that I needed to kind of keep to myself, um, or other people wouldn't understand because I never was able to really talk about it with anybody. Yeah. Uh, but he was talking about it, and there was in a room full of people who were mm. talking about it too. So I understood then that that was something that everybody felt in some way, and this happened to be my way. And what brought you? Can tell tell me about that meeting. Like what brought you to that kirtan and and the introduction with Krishna Das? Yeah. So I had started doing uh, yoga in my gym. And um, this was back in the mid nineties, nineteen nineties, and uh, there was, you know, it was in a in a gym in my building. So she was the the yoga teacher was sort of toning everything down a little bit. She was actually a Jiva Mukti teacher, so oh. her training was very spiritual on some level. But um, because she was teaching at my gym, she kind of kept it very simple and stuck with the asanas. But occasionally she would play songs during the class hmm. and I remember I think it might have been some of Wa's early Shavasana music and probably Krishnas was in there too I, I don't really remember but the first time I remember hearing him was at a retreat that this yoga teacher did hmm. I had never taken a yoga retreat before so it was all very new to me and it was you know full of people who had been practicing seriously at Jiva Mukti and they were vegans and they had tattoos of Om and Namah Shivaya <laughs> and all over the bodies and I, and I felt yeah. very unspiritual compared to them. Uh, and um, he he was part of the program and you know I've said this in, when people have asked me before is you know I really wasn't interested in, in hearing what he had to say. You know I came for the yoga retreat but when I saw satsang on the schedule and I thought this was some failed Indian musician who was going to come and sing, and I really didn't <laughs> want to spend my time doing that. Uh, but when he walked in the room and started to sing, I really did understand 
my my heart heard the call hmm. instant it was instant as hmm. soon as he opened his mouth um and i didn't know him i didn't know anything about him and and he was actually not that well known at that point he had just put out one his first album which was one track art and um I started to hear the chant and I remember just feeling so pulled to stay in the room, stay with the chant and I was, next thing I knew, you know, I had moved from the back of the room, which was my escape route, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to right, right to the front and I was sitting right in front of him. I couldn't, I kind of wanted to get as close to it as possible, you know, mm-hmm. and um so then I, when I look back now, I feel like that really was a major turning. It was the turning point in my life in terms of how I looked at things mm-hmm. and my adult life. And um, it changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. It changed everything for me. And he had a very interesting and wonderful way of speaking about his, his life, his path, his time with Neem Karoli Baba and what really pulled me was that feeling of love that um, that he and the others felt when they were with Maharaji. And in some way, I felt that we were feeling that, sitting mm. in his, in Krishnas' presence and, and singing with him and chanting with him. And it's the same. You know, 20 years later, I still have that. Uh, same pull. Together, yeah. And so when you were getting to this retreat, uh, it sounds like, these these uh, spiritual principles were kind of in the ether, kind of around you and and through you throughout your life. Mm-hmm. What what uh, made you want to go deeper? At the, what made you want to go on a retreat? What was there? Were you in a, an impersonal um, turmoil, or were you just was were you just kind of subtly following this flow and deepening? You know. Uh, let me think. You know, just on in my my life in general at that time, you know, I had I had gotten married uh, I, in my first marriage very young. I was mm. twenty, mm. and um, I um, I was married to him for was my childhood sweetheart, mm. and we moved to America together, and kind of grew apart. And so I had been divorced, I guess, at that point. Um, for a few years, I had been traveling all over Africa and India for the you know for five years before that. You know, I had a really great time, really exploring. I mean, when you're out in nature that way and you are observing wildlife, it really starts to um, get you to be very present because you have to kind of tune into everything that's going on at that moment, and all your senses are. Keen, you know, you're hearing, you're, list, you're listening, your smell, your sense of smell, mm. and of course what you're seeing, because mm. wildlife is so unpredictable. So, mm. in order to see it and experience it, you have to be available and attentive. So, um, by that time, mm. I guess I don't know. I don't. I can't say there was any any great turmoil in my life. You know, I was just. Uh, I guess. The time had come for me to look for something deeper than just what I was being told was going to make me happy. You know, I thought working on Wall Street and making money and doing like the cool job was going to make me happy, which it didn't, which is why I left. Mm-hmm. And I, I started doing the wildlife stuff and 
you know, my marriage had failed. So for an Indian woman in her 30s, not being married was kind of my, my parents were not so happy about that and were concerned about me. And, you know, a lot, everybody wants to find someone in their lives at that point. So I don't know, I must have been searching for something. And um, doing yoga, I was doing it for physical reasons, but um, it pulled me in the way that it does everybody, you know, it's really a deep spiritual practice, so much with the breath work. Yeah. And then time had come. Time had just come for me to, to get go in there, I guess. Well, very, very clearly, in retrospect, that particular retreat was very important for you. It was. It definitely was. <laughs> yeah. And so this unfolding, it's in part of what I've been reflecting on, the more of people I get to talk to and stories I get to hear, you know, sitting in this seat as the witness to that. It's so beautiful to watch the arc of each individual's story mm -hmm unfold um you know in the moment to moment you know the day-to-day -day feeling can you know be overwhelming or you can feel lost or pain or confusion mm -hmm. but when you get when i get a chance to look out at other people's story take this bird's eye view it's so obvious <laughs> you know <laughs> the it's script true. it's like the script of the of the this the screenplay from the movie it's like we have all the pages here it's like oh well yeah. of course now okay so the marriage all right da, 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 okay yeah. two years later the, th the retreat mm -hmm. i see now here we are the progression yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. So. yeah i guess that you know i definitely was looking for something and and i think the idea of satsang had never really arisen in my life in that way mm -hmm. and you know being with people in the room chanting like that and wanting to hear stories of Maharaji. And, you know, I, ma I made very lasting friendships mm. from that. The moment I started chanting, like right from that retreat till mm. now, many of those people are still my really close friends. Mm. You know, we bonded in a way. And um, it's really, uh, you know, one of the three jewels, as they say, the Sangha. It's a big part. It's become a big part of my life. And and as you were reflecting on, you know, this the childhood memories of kind of having to keep that to yourself. Yeah. And yes. traveling through your life with that being private mm -hmm. or solitary. Mm -hmm. That yeah, that then that expression and being able to share and connect is is so freeing. Yeah. yeah. And it was interesting because when I did actually start chanting. Uh, and, you know, because when I met Krishnadas that weekend, I understood that I was going to arrange my life in such a way that I would try to chant with him as much as possible. I learned that weekend that mm -hmm. he actually uh, was chanting every Monday at Jiva Mukti, mm -hmm. and I was going to be there no matter what, you know. Uh, and so my... I formed these friendships with people in my satsang, but more importantly, I was I was there for the chanting. I really, really mm. wanted to be there. But the funny thing that happened during that time was that my parents then got terrified that I had joined a cult. <laughs> they were in India at the time, and they just they were just oh, Krishna Das, and you know, there's a lot of issues in India around you know certain kind of groups and and people. Um, being taken for a ride. And so I guess they were cautious in a certain way. But, and they, since they hadn't seen him 
or seen that these are just regular people coming and doing one thing together and there was nothing to join. It took a while for them to understand that. Yeah. So on some level, I still it was still separate from my family. And do you um, find, have you found, I mean, have you found that because you are of Indian heritage that people sometimes assume that this is, you know, yeah. what you have always been like? Yeah. That, yeah. I think a lot Whereas of Whereas it's interesting think, to hear, you know, this other, yeah. you know, it's the same reaction that many Western yeah. parents would have. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were definitely <laughs> horrified. Yeah. And it's just interesting to see after all these years, you know, that, um, um, as I've been traveling with Krishnas and singing in different parts of the world, like one of the places where he has a, a really amazing large following is India. Mm. You know, we remotely they they watch his YouTube videos, mm. they listen to his music. Mm. When he did go there to sing, we we had like really big numbers of people coming to to chant with him, um, and they really and it they really connect with his chanting you know it's not it's not like it's some kind of a concert but on a very spiritual heart level mm -hmm. and i think for the younger generation uh you know kids younger than me in in india now he he is the way in which they interpret um the traditions that they kind of grew up with and that were kind of laid on them in a certain way and they mm -hmm. didn't fully understand mm -hmm. and they can connect with the the, the energy forces of Hanuman and Ram in the way that he chants and, and, and talks about them. Mm. Uh, and it helps them to kind of reintegrate back into the tradition that already has existed in India for thousands of years. Mm. That's what it seems like to me, because that's what it was like for me, personally. Mm. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And so how then did you begin to relate to Neem Karoli Baba? How did Maharaji start to in, in, inform mm -hmm. your life? Well, um, it's interesting when I look back on it, um, I look back on that time. Because the first thing that happened was, you know, when I when I met Krishnadas that week, and I had so many questions, mm. and a lot of, he answered the questions by giving me a stack of books to read, basically, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is here, take miracle of love here, here's near and the dear, here's by his grace, you know, read, and that was the beginning of reading about saints for me, which I hadn't done, you know, I had run, I had read the um, the sac you know, sacred and spiritual texts, but reading about saints was something new. Mm. So I started to hear uh, from him about Raman Maharshi and Ananda Maima and, you know, that sort of thing. And um, being exposed to people from Jivamukti, uh, Sharon and David were always sending students to go and see any t spiritual teacher or saint that came through town. So mm. you know, when Amma came, they, they, they you know, instructed people, go, you know, go see, go experience, go mm. feel for yourself, find your connection. And um, so Maharaji, as I started reading those books, I, you know, the miracles were not so much what pulled me. It was what the connection that the people felt with him when he was in the body. Mm. 
was felt like the, I had the same connection. It didn't feel any different to this being who I didn't know. And I got in, in, increasingly frustrated. And these were the conversations I had with Krishnadas about, you know, I need a guru. And he would say, you, you know, you don't need a guru in the body. It's not for everybody. Um, some people will have one and some people won't. And so I made a decision at that point that I wanted to kind of go to Kenchi. It felt very strong, potent for me, the idea that I should go to the place where he was and where Maharaji was. Not even understanding that, you know, they say that once the guru leaves the body, the their temple becomes the body of the guru and all the stuff that is was said about it. But I, di- I didn't know any of these things. It just felt like I needed to go there, that mm. that was the source of mm. everything. <laughs> And so I went uh, two years after mm. I met Krishnadas. And one of the things he said to me, because in those days, you know, Kenshi wasn't so well known. So many Westerners go there. Now, this new wave of Westerners that go there after these guys all went in the 70s. Um, he did tell me about Siddhima at that time, mm. just before I went. He said, well, if you go, there is this very wonderful close devotee of Maharaji who's there. Mm. Her name is Siddhima. And I had seen her name being mentioned in these early books in, in Near Near in the Deer and so forth. She wasn't really addressed as Siddhima at that time, but she was there in the stories as one of the close old devotees of Maharaji. And um, Krishna said, you know, she was now taking care of Maharaji's temples and you should go and have her darshan. So... I went with my friend Ambika, and the two of us were started our adventure, you know, uh-huh. doing this. Um, I, it was interesting, Melanie. I, you know, I still remember Ambika and I got on the train and we, uh, from Delhi, and we arrived in Katgodam, and the taxi driver picked us up, and on his dashboard was a picture of Maharaji. And, oh, of course. You know, <laughs> all everywhere in the hills is that area is uh. near is Neem Karoli Baba, you know, everybody's a devotee, and we really felt like we kind of arrived. I, I'm know? sorry, I'm sorry, I'm wanting to, just before we go yeah. further, yeah. When, you've, when you said, because I want to get this whole story in, but when you said that you felt like you had to go there, mm-hmm. there was a moment in my personal path where I literally went there. I, I, I feel like I went on a, in a fugue state. And it was a moment when I was uh, transitioning out of a, an old spiritual group, um, kind of into this community. And I remember sitting in, in my apartment in Brooklyn at the time, and I went on this journey, mm. <laughs> this like astral journey mm. to Kenshi. I haven't been there yet um, in form, but um, the pull to the place and uh, to have the darshan of the place, yes, I think I think is something. I just wanted to put mm-hmm. that in there, you know, in relation to what you were saying about the your frustration of the guru and the guru in the body, that that felt like part of my initiation. Yeah, just that moment yeah. of what could have been a daydream or a fantasy. I imagine that. It doesn't matter. Right, you know, Ramdas talks. <laughs> Ram talks about yeah. you know. It, it recently, he said this at the retreat uh, when we were there together in December. Yeah. Uh, he he talks about how I I meet Maharaji in my imagination. Mm. 
he uses he talks about that a lot and and call it whatever you want it's your experience you know the experience of your heart and um one of the things and i i tell krishnadas this uh is that that and i remember this so well and it it's actually now the 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 name of his latest album, which is Trust in the Heart. Mm. But one of the first things that he said to me back then was, he said, you know, trust in your own heart. Because if you don't trust your own heart, who are you going to trust? Mm. And um, I felt like I had no choice. You know, when those feelings came to me that I needed to go to Kenshi, and I, 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 I just went for it. I just mm. did it. And... Um, there, I did. It, I just didn't feel like I had a choice, and it wasn't like I was fighting it. I was ready to go. It was exciting, yeah. and it felt like, yeah, this is something really nourishing. And um, my cells came alive in a certain way. Like I felt like there was a purpose. I could turn toward a direction that was going to lead me somewhere. Mm. I didn't realize it was going to lead me right back into myself again. It's, uh-huh. it's, <laughs> uh, it was leading me somewhere. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I still have uh, the, you know, when you get off at the train station and, and then you drive into the valley to go down to Kenchi, you know, you go around the bend and there you see this beautiful temple nestled in the foothills there. And the feeling that we had when we saw it, I still have it mm. to this day. And not only do I have it, my daughter has it too. So it's, mm. there's something there about, you know, the temple being the body of the guru for sure. Mm. And, um, yeah, so when I went, um, crossing over that footbridge over the river and kind of entering into the space that is Kenshi, and I'm sure you've heard this from many people who've been there, you really do enter, it feels to me like another dimension, another loka. Mm. And Maharaji's presence felt very strong to me, mm. very, very strong. And um, and the first time I met Siddhima, when we, we had our first darshan with her, um, you know, I had this idea that I was going to, to I mean, you know, that I was just dying to meet this this guru and. Uh, and I would I would know immediately, and it would be like a thunderbolt, and mm. I would know exactly. It was going to be something very dramatic in this way. And you know, before coming to Kenshi, I had gone to see a couple of saints that had come through New York, and I kept waiting for that feeling and getting frustrated that I didn't have it. Mm. You know, um, but I think so much of my desire to have some kind of earth-shaking experience stood in the way of me actually feeling anything mm. real. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> now when I look back on it. Um, but by the time I got to Kenshi, definitely when I reached the temple, I, I, I realized I had come home in a certain way. And when I met Siddhima, my memory was not really of seeing her, but I felt the same feeling that I had when I chanted with Krishnas, mm. when I was reading the books about Maharaji. And so... It felt like we were all sitting in this vast presence that we called Maharaji, including her. I, I didn't really see uh-huh. her as as a separate entity. Mm-hmm. She was all part of that presence. Mm-hmm. So, 
I don't know. I was just so delighted to be there, you know, at, in, in the temple. And th- thinking that we had to do, you know, we wanted to do seva and help. And, and you know, all Siddhima said, she said, you're the best seva that you can do. Because she realized how much we love sitting with the kirtanwalas in the room. She said, go and sing the name. That's going to be your seva while you're here. Hmm. So sit with the kirtanwalas and... Um, sing Hanuman Chalisas outside Maharaji's temple, you know. So um, we said, yeah, this is wonderful. This is what we're going to do. And I was there for, I think, about two weeks in India. And during that time, it was during the uh, Devi Navratri or Durga Puja, and mm-hmm. so there were t- there were pujas going on in the back Yagashala, and you know a lot of the Indians were involved in the Sanskrit chanting and the offerings into the fire and and so on. And you know we went like for a few minutes a day, but mostly we were sitting with the Kirtanwalas and also getting up early in the morning and doing our practice um, before the Kirtan started. So it was just a full on just catapulted ourselves like right into that that space of doing practice and taking making a retreat for ourselves and huh. and then of course we had darshan with ma so and what was that like what well, just for people that don't necessarily know what darshan is and and what was the what was darshan with ma like <laughs> well darshan means coming into the presence of Yes, coming into the presence of, uh, you know, uh, an enlightened being, let's say. Mm-hmm. or But darshan can also be darshan, uh, not necessarily of a, of a being in a human body, but also a sacred murti. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could have a vision, you know. Also, mm-hmm. there's so many different ways of looking at darshan. But basically having that, that heart-mind connection mm-hmm. with the big one presence, you know, in whatever form it's appearing. Mm-hmm. So that the, the the term for it is darshan when you go to to meet with to meet with a saint or so forth. So I was just kind of going back in my mind over that time, and I just wanted to just tell you a little bit of the backstory there because when we reached the temple, when we reached Kenshi, we weren't actually sure we could stay there. So we had just arrived with our stuff and shown mm-hmm. up at the office and filled out some forms, and they said, "Okay, you can stay here for three nights." And after that, you have to find your own accommodation. So we took that as what it was going to be, and that was fine. And, um, you know, we didn't say anything to Siddhima about that or, or anything. We just, we just were very happy that we could stay there for those three nights. So on the, the, day, the morning of the fourth day, I said to Ambika, I said, um, because we were rooming together, I said, let's let's get up really early, let's pack, let's go to Nenital and we'll go stay at the legendary Evelyn Hotel <laughs> mm-hmm. that everybody was talking about. And then we would commute back to Kenshi just like those guys did in the 70s. Like this was our whole thing that we'd made up in our mind. And uh, so we were getting ready to leave and it was early in the morning and somebody comes knocking on our door. It was really early, it was like 5.30 or something. And we, the person at the door is Jaya. And Jaya is the woman who has been caring for Siddhima for, for many, many years. 
and um, she speaks English, and so she's often the translator uh, for anybody who Westerners who were coming for darshan. Of course, I can speak Hindi, so I actually was speaking to Siddhima in Hindi as myself when I was there, and. Uh, so she, I said, what's up, Jaya? And she said, well, Ma didn't even let me have tea. She, she made me rush here. And, uh, and to tell you, uh, she said to me, she said, hurry up, hurry up. They're packing. They think they have to leave, but they don't have to leave. Tell them they can stay here. <laughs> and it was at that moment that I mm. understood mm. that she knew everything that was going on with me and um, and I think that was my first real darshan of Siddhima hmm. even though I wasn't sitting in front of her that was the moment where I, I allowed for that exchange to happen between her and me hmm. and my heart opened in a way that it hadn't fully and, and I realized that the guru that I had been um, yearning for, she found me. Hmm. Right, just uh, as Krishnadas had said to you back then, if the guru will find you if, if it needs to, yeah. If it needs to happen, yeah. So. So then she, did you, did you acknowledge this? moment or how did your your relating to her shift from that moment forward and this was what what year would this have been 1998 okay 1998 mm -hmm. September of 1998 mm -hmm. it was two years after I had met Krishnadas and um, a lot of things changed at that point you know because she mm -hmm. I definitely turned toward her, which was not any different than being turned towards Maharaji, because everything that she ever said, any teachings that she gave, any questions that she answered, everything was prefaced by, I don't know anything, but Maharaji said, do this. You know, that's sort of how <laughs> she spoke. She always was reflecting back anything that she herself had learned from Maharaji or had been told by or had heard Maharaji telling other people. You know, she never really mm. spoke uh, directly as if anything was coming from herself. You know, it was mm. all coming from him, everything. Mm. But that, but she was the in form, heart to heart channel for you. For me. Yeah. But. What also happened over the years was that I developed a personal relationship with her, as her, mm. where she um, saw me through my second marriage, the birth of my child, changes mm. in, my, in my work situation, my family situation, the death of my father, so many things, mm. you know, over the years. And they were personal, like, conversations mm. with her mm. that... Um, as my as my spirit, my soul guide, my my everything, you know. Mm -hmm. And she 
whenever I was away from her, I understood that I could ask her the question in my heart and I would get the answer. Mm. But I also had the ability to actually ask her those questions, mm -hmm. you know, when I was with her or messages could be sent to her. You know, there were things that happened in the early years that I was able to create that personal relationship mm. uh, for myself with her. And over the years, what happened was that I, uh, she helped me to develop my practice for sure and to strengthen my practice because everything she ever said was, you know, everything would come to fruition if we did our practice mm. with the best of intentions and discipline. Mm. You know, everything, it was always about that. So she really kind of solidified that in my head and my heart, that this is the only way that ever, anything was ever going. And, and you know, she was a model of that. That's what she did. Um, and you could, we knew that, and that you could feel it from her. And um, what happened after I met her was that it became my goal in life to go back to see her as much as I could, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I, I couldn't give up my my occupation or anything here in, in you know, I was, I, I knew I had to keep with my job. I couldn't become a hippie and throw away everything and go and live in India. That's not what I was doing, at least. And the other people might have done that, but I just didn't. And I, I decided that I was going to continue with my life, but spend, make sure that I spent some time of the year with her, even if it was just a week or oh. two weeks. Sometimes it was just a couple of days, you know, because I was taking people on my wildlife trips in India. I would go a little early, go mm -hmm. have her darshan, see her for a little while, and then and that would be it. Wow. But, but somehow that was enough to carry me through the year. And um, I mean, one of the things that happens in India and as a, as a woman for me is like, you know, when I've met a lot of saints from India who are men, yeah. they aren't necessarily able to be free with women in the way mm. that we were able to be very free with Ma. You know, it's just, she just, as mother, there was, there was no barrier. You know, we could, we could be really free with her. And I mean, there are obviously exceptions. I'm sure you've heard of, you've heard from Saraswati about Sham Sundar Das Baba and you know how he is with everybody. I don't feel any barrier with him either, but he's a rare, um, rare being in that way. Um, but with her and being with a woman, I think it was, I, I needed that, you know, I needed a, cause she's, she's strong. I mean, she's, she's fully integrated. All of her is, mm -hmm. There was, she happened to be in a female body, but mm. you know, it was power, just really. Um, and, and, I not, think and not taken yeah. away from, you know, not uh, to, to your point at the end, to your, to your yeah. point about the fact that she was in this service position yeah. to, yeah. quote unquote, the guru. <laughs> yeah. She didn't, didn't, didn't diminish her integration mm -mm. of her strength. Not at all. Right. She mm. was an example of that, you know. Mm. I call her my guru because every when I when I close my eyes and I 
have a question to ask or I think about where is my heart's refuge? It's in her. Mm. And she, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know how to, like, I wouldn't be able to say to you what exactly she is in relation to Maharaji. Like, I don't know these things, you know, spiritual beings are spiritual beings. But all I know is, is that she, that presence, the presence that people felt from being with Maharaji, um, she carried that. And how much of it was her or him? Does it matter what diff you know which, which form it is? I, I don't even know. But for me, the form was her, and it continues to be her. Um, even though she's not in the body anymore. No. And so, tell us a little bit about that, because you were just able to go back uh, to India. Mm -hmm. So. You know, as I was saying before, because I wasn't able to be with her all the time, mm -hmm. um, I think I sort of developed the ability to to lean on her, you know, from a distance, like to to be able to really think about what when I had questions or if things were difficult. Uh, I would be able to seek refuge in, in her, in her presence, even when I was away from her. And in the early years, we spent a lot of time actually talking directly. She told stories. She was very animated. We um, could ask questions about anything. She would answer them. And I would say in the last maybe five or six years, as she started to age, her body started to age, um, we started to feel some distance from her physically. You know, she, mm. she, our, the darshans were different. Mm. Um, it wasn't always possible to ask, see her as much. Mm. It wasn't uh, always possible to ask the kind of questions we could because she wouldn't really answer anymore. And it seemed like in some way she was really kind of preparing us for when she wasn't going to be around. I didn't realize it at that point. It's not what I thought about. And when I look at it now, I realize that um, there wasn't this sudden shock that, you know, she's gone. Mm. Uh, it was gradual. She kind of it was very gradual. So when she, uh, when I did get the news, you know, as with any any news like this, you know, there's obviously the uh, it kind of took my breath away for a while. Uh, but what I did feel was that I felt like I needed to go back to India very quickly within this 12-day mourning period that's part of the tradition of India, and just go and connect with that space, this moment in time. Um, I just felt like I needed to do it, and somehow I it was able. I it all happened, you know. Mm. I was able to to get away and do it. And what I did was I went to Rishikesh, which was where um, I had spent some amount of time actually doing practice and and spending time with Siddhima. 
And it was the temple that she built for Maharaji. And so many times that I had been there with her, she had said, she said, you know, this temple was built for you, for you meaning all of us to 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 find the space to to be in the presence, to do practice. Um, and so it felt very much like her temple. So I wanted to go back there. And they were having a big bandara, you know, the feast on the 12th day. And um, so I went there and we, uh, and it was interesting because Siddhima in all these years has been very, wanted to be very quiet about herself. You know, she didn't want there to be any pictures of her. She didn't like to have her picture taken. Uh, none of her pictures were up in the temples. You know, it was never about her. Her presence was always sort of under Maharaji's blanket, and, and that's how she wanted to be. Um, you know, a lot of the Westerners say that when they were with Maharaji in the 70s, they didn't even know that she was there because she was always behind mm. closed doors. You know, she was mm. never out front. It was only after he left the body and, you know, talking to uh, many of the Westerners um, that they met her because as they were grieving when Maharaji left the body, she kind of stepped in and started to be present there for them emotionally as a mother, a sister, and telling them stories of Maharaji and, you know, just kind of keeping the love alive in it, which she continued to do always, you know, she's always with him. I always felt like we, even when she was with us, she was always with him, Yeah, you know. So, so I went to Rishikesh and it was interesting to see because we helped in the preparations and we had these beautiful big photographs made of Ma and framed and, and the pujas were, were being done in her name. Um, and I didn't stay there very long because I had a very short time in India. And I, uh, I went then to Nanital, to the hills, and uh, I went to Kenchi where they were also having a bandara. And that felt also so poignant because every visit that I ever made to Kenchi was, you know, to be there at a time when she was going to be there. So to think that that, that was it, you know, that that was the last time, the last time I saw her, which was in August this year, was the last that I was going to see her in Kenchi. That was, that was uh, hmm. something to come to terms with. And um, and then I did go also to the Bandara with which her family in the Indian tradition, you know, the the son, the eldest son, does the last rites for the mother, and they had um, the family also had a, a Bandara in Nainital at the family hotel, the India hotel, and you know I met a lot of devotees, Indian devotees there, who I know from all these years. Uh, but what I was also able to do, and and it was very helpful for me was to spend uh, a few days in Siddhima's home where she spent time in the, these last few months. Um, and it's the home that uh, Jaya had sort of created for her, for mm -hmm. her to rest and be away from the ashram activities. And um, I think just spending time there and spending time with Jaya and talking about Ma and hearing more stories from Jaya, because now Jaya is speaking much more about Ma. In fact, they've um, she didn't do this, but uh, 
her, herself, but they have created a, a, a page now on Facebook. <laughs> it's, it's called Sri Siddhima. And there are pictures of, of Ma on that page. Oh, and, you know, nice. people are, yeah. So I, I'm imagining there'll be stories and I'm not sure what all is going to get posted now. So um, there's, there's a lot more that people have access to than they than they did before. But spending time with Jen and, and just kind of talking about our time with her and uh, was very comforting. And in some way, the thread's not broken. You know, even though right. Ma's not here anymore, um, her presence, like it's been, has been, you know, has been with me all these years. It continues, and I pray that uh, I can continue to be open to receive all her blessings. That's so beautiful. Is there something that you would share with those of us that didn't meet her or know her? like a kind of a quintessential piece yeah. that you would, that comes to mind that you would. You know, she's, she's known as Ma. So Ma is um, mother hmm. and definitely every time that I ever spent with her and because I spent a lot of time in the darshan room with her, also being a translator and seeing her mm. engaging with other people, uh, is just this overwhelming feeling of nurturing mm. and care. Um, and that whatever she said to you was truth, mm. your truth. And she was only reflecting back to you what you needed to hear about yourself from her, which you knew already, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Sure, no, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, that, um, and and what do you feel like that's a different feeling that, and you said that word nurturing, really that nurturing presence. Is there a distinction between that feeling from her directly than maybe what you sense from Maharaji? Well, can you, can you just, can you distinguish between that? Yes, on a certain level, only because, um, you know, she was in form in front of me. Mm -hmm. So I actually had physical contact with her. So, mm -hmm. you know, so it was, I could touch her and, you know, so so in that sense, yes. But over time, as I think about the presence of Maharaji, you know, and what that, what that means to me, um, and I think I, I mentioned this to you earlier, was that, you know, the, the overwhelming feeling was the love and, you know, in all the stories that Krishnadas tells and Ramdas tells, and it just emanates from them as they're telling the story, is the love. And that love is um, is nurturing. The, I mean, the quality mm. of it is nurturing. It's, it makes everything okay, mm. you know. Um, with her, so because... The quality of love, that's so rich. Sorry, I want to just like... Yeah. The quality of love is nurture, nurturing. Yeah. In it and seems, of itself, yeah. Yeah. You know, in whatever form that... Yeah. I guess that from wherever it comes and um, 
So it was just different for me because I had this personal relationship with her. I could talk right. to her. I mean, you know, there were times when she packed lunches for us, you know, with her own hands, you know, right. things like this that. Very um, ma, very, very, very ma, ma. Yeah. very mother, you know, and when, if you've read stories of, uh, let's, you know, I started to read stories of Sharada Devi, Sri Ramakrishna's wife, uh, you know, when, when, when she was alive and when I read those stories they're so similar the stories are written by her devotees because she had her own devotees as, apart from Sri Ramakrishna's devotees mm. they're so the, the the feeling the mood is very similar mm. to what we had with with Siddhima that's that's how it felt to me mm. um, and You know, I'm still, I guess I'm still trying to understand the f and articulate everything that she has been for me. Uh, but right now, just in, in response to your question, that, that's what I would say. Hmm. And it was, is it different from Maharaji? I, I don't, I, it's the love. So wonderful. Well, I've asked all of my guests to give a piece of advice specifically to women and girls on the spiritual path. And I offer that to you to share. I'd say that, um, you know, we're all lucky enough to be born in the West. Some people might consider that a blessing, some people not, which is why I keep running to India, <laughs> you know, to, uh, for darshan and to, and, you know, there's definitely a very strong force of, um, of spiritual tradition and, and practice that exists in India and you can tap into when you go there. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of hindrances towards women um, on a spiritual path in India um, in, the, in the culture. It's a cultural thing, you know, which a lot of Indian women might be, um, there are obstacles. Uh, often the spiritual path is only really open to men in, the, in that way. But... Being with Ma and seeing how she was with everybody and being in America and seeing how really so much is open to us here, we have the opportunity to learn um, and experience whatever we want. And I think that it's important to embrace what are so-called feminine qualities, you know, of softness, of... Uh, nurturing of compassion and not push them away but include them in our spiritual practice hmm. while all the while harnessing the the um, the forces of courage and strength that are associated with the sacred male because ultimately 
You know, they're all part of the one. You know, we're all... At sometimes it's necessary to look at the sacred feminine separate from sacred masculine, but they exist together. Mm. One doesn't exist without the other. They're both a part of each of our beings, whether we're men or women in this world. And um, I think the, the key for all of us is to integrate both those aspects in ourselves. Mm. And... Um, and, you know, be like Durga. She's got all of those qualities. You know? <laughs> she was made up by the, by the gods, you know. And, um, but she's got the Shakti. She's got the power to manifest. Mm. And we all have that. Men and women have that. And women just have to realize more and more that, that, that we have it. And... Um, we don't have to be any less women to be strong and courageous. Fantastic. And pursue your path, you know. Just go for it. Yeah, pursue your and path. Yeah. Pursue your path, find your practice, own your practice and do it. <laughs> yeah, own it and do it. Those two things. And own it from a holistic, whatever that is to you, whatever that yeah. integration of whole, wholeness is to you. Yeah. Explore is, it's, it, you know, exploring is a very big thing. I mean, it's good to have a practice that you keep steady and you repeat over and over again. But I've been fortunate to be exposed to teachings from, you know, a lot of different traditions and wherever I feel a pull and something resonates with me, I try to, to explore it to some degree without dropping my original practice, but try and integrate other things into my life as well. Well, I so appreciate having a chance to talk with you and hearing about your path and your relationship with Ma and just uh, the transmission of, of love through your story and through this talk. And um, I encourage everyone listening to go to the Shakti Hour page at BeHereNowNetwork.com. We'll have links to uh, Nina's website and upcoming events. I did just see a post of yours that had a lot going on, lots of opportunities to chant with Nina and, and be uh, in her presence and do that practice with her and share with her. So go and find that out and uh, give us a, give me a shout out on the page. Let us know um, any reflections on this talk on any of your personal experiences with Ma if you want to share or just uh, anything that reflects to you from this idea of uh, a nurturing love love to hear more about that and thank you so much Nina it was such a pleasure thanks for talking to me Melanie it was nice to do this
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.